Welcome to Property Investing with Grant and Charlie, the place where we give you access to all the strategies, tools, and tactics to become a successful property investor. Charlie, it is the new year. I have one goal. Do I know what the goal is? I'd love to know what the goal is. Read every single newsletter that we release because if you're listening to this and you're like, Grant, I want to have the exact same goal that you have just mentioned, great, I'm in it. Head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your details and just remember, reply back to every single one saying, Charlie, I read this. Charlie, I read this. What a great goal. I actually love this goal. (laughs) It's the best goal ever. All right, let's cue uh, the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you to seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. All right, Grant. Did you have a good New Year's? A great New Year's. I get to ignore previous goals and set new ones. I continually find myself, I'm one of those people that actually prefers to set goals and adjust goals during the year. Like if I want something, I want to turn it into a goal and a structure and everything like in that moment. Like I don't want to wait for New Year's to come around before I'm going to be reflective and then actually like come up with something. Yeah. You're the weird one. You're the weird one. Potentially, very, very potentially. I'm not going to argue against that. I've, uh, there's numerous points of my life that would provide evidence this, to suggest that's true. So I'm just going to go with potentially. Do you do you submit your tax returns early? Potentially. <laughs> so I'm not part of this system. I'm, I do what I want when I want. <laughs> Nonetheless, I find, and I wonder if you're the same, this calendar event of New Year's becomes a huge part of being reflective and actually thinking about what I want and setting some new goals. I still do it, even though I'm doing it throughout the year. So I want to know from your perspective, do you set goals or get reflective or even think about your goals every New Year's as I do? So I definitely do. I think it's a, I think it's a great, I don't know what it's a, it's a great moment where everybody's reflective and you kind of absorb the energy of everybody else around you. Like, I don't know how many people you spoke to, which is like, oh, my goals are this, my goals are that. And it's like infectious. So I'm like, oh, I just lean into it. You know what? I get that I set goals throughout the year and I change my goals and I can do my own thing. But it's almost like this enjoyable situation of just like hearing it from everyone else. I'm like, oh, what are yours? And I'll yeah, you, you, you want to absorb it. It's like Christmas totally. to the degree. It's like you, you can get into the spirit yeah. of goal setting. And I think there's a power to it. And do you know what else I think there's a power to? Actually putting it out there, actually letting the world know what you're trying to get up to, which can be confronting. And I know there's even people out there that will say, hey, you know, you really want to keep this stuff to yourself so people don't shoot it down and it stops you from doing it. Yeah, and I can get that as well. But I've actually found whenever I put goals out there, more often than not, people that I tell them might actually help me. I might go, oh, well, do you know what? I know someone who's done that. Yep. Or I've got this resource to do it and they'll actually be like a connector or enhancer to that. So what we're going to be doing on today's podcast is actually going through our property goals of 2023, which I'm excited about, Grant. I'm looking forward to hearing yours. <sighs> yep. But I'll put it out there. If either of us say something and you have a solution to this or you've done it before, get in contact with us. Help, help a brother out. And if you are someone that uh, has goals, let us know because if we can help you with yours, we would love to do the same. Amen. I'm on there. For sure. 
All right, so how long did it take you to come up with your goal list for this episode? <laughs> I was fortunate. It was most of the list from what I actually said over New Year's. But it was about, I reckon I prepared probably two months for this. <laughs> it was like, as I was like closing out all of my goals for 2022, I'm like, what did I miss? What didn't I achieve? Where should I have pushed myself harder? And it was like this reiteration of everything. So I'll, I don't know, I'll call it six weeks, eight weeks. That's how long I reckon it took me to put it together. I think it took me about five minutes. <laughs> He's like, this is the thing. I was in the zone. I was just absolutely yeah. in the zone. So I'd love to uh, start things off here. How did you actually come up with your goals for 2023 when it comes to property? All right. So uh, North Star. So I know where I want to try and get to, which is. So this is like your long-term goal, your North super Star. Super long-term goal. So I'm looking at super long-term goal, which I know the value of property. And I know that the first part of that goal is 120K a year in cash flow. And this is, I don't care if this happens in a decade, two decades, five years, however long it is, that's just the goal. Really? I care a lot about how long it takes. Well, I'm going to it's caveat because I have slightly changed the interpretation of how to get to my final North Star, which I'm okay. going to get to, into in my goals. Sat down. Um, and so I reviewed that, sat down with my lovely wife, and then, yeah, I said, well, based on the financial position where we're at today, how hard could we go towards that North Star? And what could we do within reason, within the calendar year of 2023? And I think we approach things so similarly, similarly, but, but I can't talk today, but I think you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, I'm not exactly what you're So I'll, I'll throw in how I thought about it and you're just going to see the overlap here. I want you to imagine like we're crossing an ocean, right? So we're going from Australia to let's say the US and like it's a big trip and it's going to take more than one day. Okay. So in that concept, you think about it in years rather than yep. days. Right, so we know overall where we want to get to. And like, let's say we're three days into this trip and there's many more days to come. I really love the idea of going, well, I'm basis, basing this on, I'm here currently in the ocean. This is my position. This is the conditions of the sea that have kind of in front of us that we can see at the moment. Not predicting, but at the same time, taking information based on what we can see. And maybe the waves are, are like this, or we, we've got warning, there's some wind coming, or maybe we've got a tailwind in some areas. And then on the basis of absorbing that environment is you can kind of estimate or judge, well, this is where we think we're going to be in a year from now. Yeah. Like that's how I kind of think about it as a bit of a like metaphor, if you will. I think it's a great metaphor because you would look back at 2022 and middle middle or midway through or not even like within the first quarter, first three months, it was just this storm that just went and Well, to and the adapted. point of the analogy, weather conditions can change quickly, Grant. Very quickly. So I actually really like that analogy. I always use that one, Charlie. So what about you? So is that how you came up with your goals? Absolutely. So you and I share this whole like North Star philosophy, which is like, okay, what's the ultimate destination we want to end up at? And uh, I'm a little bit more picky than you. I would I'll be happy for it to take maybe five years, six years or seven years, but not five or 10 or 20. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I've done something drastically wrong in my calculations if it's blown out by decades. <clears throat> Yes, I just have this preconceived notion that I can't control. Like all these things are completely outside of my control. So I'm like, ah, if it all like burns and I have to rebuild, sure, whatever. Like uh, I enjoy what I do. Well, I think it also creates the idea that you can celebrate any progress. I love that. Point. Yes. Yeah. So the idea is like if I get to an end of the year and it's been a year that's been more challenging, as long as I've made ground, I can go, okay, well, we've made ground. You know, that's, that's a positive and I can get behind it. When you just confine your goals to one year and it's a hit or miss – 
but it's like it feels very like binary and almost like as soon as you're off course it's like you just don't follow through at all totally so the psychological nature of approaching it in a long-term goal and then you know progress over a year as a milestone type thing i think is really powerful not to mention i remember i said uh <laughs> a net wealth goal for myself for when i like turned i think it was like 25 or something and it was like it'd be worth a million bucks and then i hit it and um thanks to the businesses and i'm like oh now what <laughs> and i was just got so disappointed because i'm like because the destination's over so it was like done and i'm like i'm, I'm here now like what, what to use your analogy do, do i just go back to australia like what do i do here do i just stay and so having the north star which is like always very far out of reach i think i think it's a great part that is exactly what happened to me with paying off my uh ppr you got there and he's like oh no, it actually created like a pit of despair. So, and like that didn't take me a year. That actually took me quite a few years. I think it was about, I went hard on paying down our mortgage from about 25 to 30. Mm-hmm. That's when I really focused off. And then on my 30th, when I was 30, I had paid off the home. But I, I, then I was like, well, now what? And like, I didn't know Deflated. what to do. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I really should have been looking more forward in that wake. But I won't spend too much time here because I think there's uh, some things we really want to get into in this episode. So let's kick it off. We've got goals for 2023. You can go first this time. What's your goal number one? All right, goal number one. All right so I'm gonna I'm gonna put a theme on this. So you know the Terminator, Charlie. I am familiar. <laughs> the Accumulator. That's my theme for 2023. What do you think? I love this so much. <laughs> I actually, I'm so damn impressed. Curiously, how much time did you spend on that part of the goal and preparing that for this episode versus actually coming up with the goal? Because I feel like that got more work than the actual goal. If we finish the episode right now, I think I'd be very happy. <laughs> I think it's, it was like six out of eight weeks worth of effort went into the accumulator as opposed to the actual goals itself. I'm going to say worth it. <laughs> <laughs> no, so the, the theme of the year for me when it comes to property is like accumulation. So... I really want to spend this year, like transparently speaking, 2022 from a, like obviously we run businesses, from a business perspective, earnings has been quite good. And I'm in a very fortunate spot financially, low LVRs on my current properties, cash flow positive on my current portfolio, like in such a good spot. And I've built up a good amount of cash reserves. And I've looked at this, assessed the market, just factoring in that interest rates are higher and I'll get into that point later. And I'm like, this is my year. This is the year that I'm just going to go and acquire three, maybe four properties. Right now it's looking, I reckon I'll end up acquiring maybe 1.5 mil, potentially $2 million worth of property in this year. All right, there's a lot to break down there. The first thing uh, I really want to look at is you've got this uh, notion that you're personally in a position to do that. So you've gone, hey, earnings has been good, incomes are good. LVRs on the property portfolio are good. Like you've ticked a lot of boxes for yourself that have kind of signaled for you. Personally, I'm ready to start accumulating more property. This is an accumulator year. Exactly. Uh, the other, uh, again, I, I need some sort of like uh, machine gun sound effect on that, on the back of that. So yep. there we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. So accumulator. All right. So you've hit that. Then you've looked at environment. And you've also suggested that this is a combination. You're happy with the environment to approach that goal as well? Totally. So, and I ask that specifically because a lot of people would have you think it's not a good time to acquire anything, even if you can. 
and I'm and I'm for that, and I understand why. I um, especially with like some concerns that are coming out globally, and obviously there's problems in Europe and problems in the US and all those kind of things. For for myself, I'm like, I I just think that Australia has a very different outlook when it comes to property than sort of some of the media outlets would have me believe otherwise. I think yes, property prices have gone down. Yeah, they might drop a little bit more, but you know what? I think it's for me, it's going to be a great year to purchase. Good opportunity for me to purchase. Um, inflation is going to be kicking around for a while, in my opinion. And I think that there's still good suburbs in Australia that are going to continue going up. And I'm pretty happy with my buyer's agent because of the past success records that they're going to be able to find those places. And this is going to be a smooth move for me. So, so you've drawn a thesis based on the environment. You're pro property. You don't totally. think there's a danger then, in that way. Yeah, but then on the, on the back side of that, like there, there are things that I've factored in that I think are sort of supportive of my risk profile. So I don't really like losing money, even though I've lost money in the past, Charlie, but I've got good emergency buffers even outside of having such a large amount of potential acquisitions for this year where even if property prices did go down, I'm, I'm fine with that and I'm prepared for me to acquire things and their property prices to drop 5%, 10% on those new acquisitions because I'm playing a long game. I'm fine with it, right? And so I have mentally prepared myself with personal cash buffers with um, and a couple of rules, which I'll get into now, but with a good portfolio right now with super low LVRs, great cash flow positive, where I'm just like, if I took that hit, that's fine. I'm like, it's a speed hump on the way from Melbourne to Sydney as opposed to a wipeout scenario. Yeah, I really like that. I see many people, and I'll even caught myself in this, where I, I'm sitting there and go, oh, it's a terrible time to buy a property. And I'm like, that's incredibly short-term thinking. So short-term, yeah. Do you know the one that gets me on that is I look at this and go, oh, you know, it's a 30-year game, but anything could happen. But if you go for today and go 30 years back and you look at all the things that happened in the last 30 years, so wow, some really terrible stuff has happened, potentially things you would think would damage property markets immensely. And yet it's come back time and time again. It, completely. And it's, yeah. And hence why, well, people are probably listening to this podcast exactly why I'm here is because I believe that property is a great asset, in my personal opinion, not financial advice. The, the idea that I'm like, I still think this is the right asset to invest in, especially for myself, utilize debt, especially against the inflation, where I'm still all in, uh, especially as I look over the next 30, 40 years. Now, before we get to your rules, which I do want to hear more about, I will reinforce here. This is Grant's circumstances. Mine. <laughs> yeah. So his, uh, his personal position with earnings and buffers and all the rest of it, and then also his view on the outlook of property. Now, for anyone who is listening to this, you'd want to shape your own of these and potentially get uh, financial advice, not from two idiots on a podcast, <laughs> but people that are actually qualified to weigh in on your situation, which we are not. Jumping over from that, though, what are your rules? Totally. And I'll put a caveat on this. When I was coming up with my goals, I actually contacted my wealth team. I went and spoke to my accountant. I went and spoke to my mortgage broker. I went and spoke to buyer's agent and talked to them about everything that I was thinking about to get them to go, is this achievable? Is this not achievable? Am I physically and mentally incapable of making these decisions because they know something that I don't? And they're just like, this is supportive. Like this. Interesting. So you had the goal validated. Completely. I'm not an idiot. Oh, so you ring your Wells team, right? You're, you, you ring your mortgage broker, let's pretend. You're like, so is this crazy? <laughs> I said to him, I said, is this, am I, am I 
what am I going to do that's going to be ruin me achieving these goals? Like to the mortgage broker, he's like, nothing. Like you could go and get them now. <laughs> he's like, why aren't you going quicker? And I'm like, oh, this is outrageous. But yeah, so I went and got them validated. I'm like, is there good enough properties around to hit these? Yep. Do I have borrowing? Heaps. Uh, can I do this from a, for the accountant? Sure. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So everyone supported me. And the best thing is, now the wealth team's bought in on my goals as well. So they know, they all know it. And I'm like, this is it. Stack Did you card. find that added a level of confidence to Huge. the goal? Oh. Yeah, I, was, I spoke to a mortgage broker and, um, yeah, and he's sitting there going, cool, like, are you going to do these simultaneously, like at the same time? Are you going to do them sequentially? How do you want me to prepare? How can I best support you in these acquisitions? And Wait, I'm, what was your answer to that? Are you so going to do said, it all at once or are you going to do it sequentially? Sequentially. I'm, I'm just, I got too much stuff in the business I'm going to have to focus on that I think if I was going like trying to buy two properties at one time, they would have to be some darn good places <laughs> for me to do it because well, I would have to eat some serious glass. Not to share some wisdom here, Grant. We, when we did our big accumulator run, so in a previous time, this was a couple of years back now where we actually, I think we bought eight in about 16 months yep. was, was the, our run, our big run we did. There was a time where we bought two at once and then had another one right on the back of it. Deep regret. What, deep regret you didn't have three at one time? No, we should have done it sequentially. <laughs> we really should have. It, uh, particularly when you start doing things in trusts uh, as well. So, like, we would be running around. It's like, got to go find a justice of the peace to sign this. Got to set up a new trust here. Got to start doing all these things. The, like, admin work. Oh, that yeah. came with doing all the different loans. And it was particularly the loans, right? It wasn't even actually the buying of the property that was an easier part. It was the loans and settlements and conveyances. Did you have to do like justice of peace? Like yeah, absolutely. We were buying in Queensland at this point. It was the worst. <laughs> and do you know what's the worst part? The two we bought at the same time were both in Queensland. <laughs> of course they were. And then the, like just one little funny antidotal story here is like one of my signatures apparently was a bit sloppy. So like they didn't pass it in the bank compliance so then it came back and then we had to do it again. So it was a bit of a headache on headache at a time when our lives of we've got a young son, we're running businesses. We didn't anticipate the work that goes into like multi-acquisition all at once and just what can go wrong. Totally. Even, even to that point, I remember I do justice of peace and then I had to get a trust amended in order to achieve a settlement. And I'm, I'm just sitting there going, oh, my gosh. So even in hindsight, on my singular at points in time, like in sequential, I'm like, I can imagine how doing things simultaneously would just be <laughs> a nightmare. So I'm, I'm thinking sequential. Oh, I would sorry. concur yeah. for the same. You're, you also throw an interesting point in this. Like you've mentioned the idea of like $1.5 to $2 million in assets you look to acquire. Yep. Why not just buy one big house? I love that question. And funnily enough, so I was sp speaking to a buyer's agent about this one and I said, like, I, I want to look to acquire 1.5 to 2 mil in the year. And that was their question. It was like, well, what are you thinking? So I like diversification, especially at the point where I'm at uh, because it, it helps me diversify like rents. So if one place was empty for a month or two, it's not going to impact that much on my growth. Right, so the idea being if you've got one house and it's vacant for a month, you've got zero income on, on that. Com but if you've got four and one's vacant, it's only 25%. Completely, completely. Um, and then in addition to that, um, I don't know, I, I, ha I have this 
safe feeling of lower priced property. And when I say lower priced property, like I'm thinking up to anything like 600 grand, right? And I go, cool, anything up to about 600 grand, in my opinion, is lower priced, which means that it is, in my opinion, less volatile to peaks and troughs of markets. Why? Is that because the types of, so you would put that down to it's the type of asset you like and prefer? Completely. Because, and I just sit there and I go, well, the rebuild costs, especially now with buildings, are quite high. So if you're buying something for 300 grand, like it's pretty hard to build something for that price now. But in addition to that, like the location of the land, like I just feel like it's just so much less volatile than if I had one single dwelling for like a 1.5 mil. Now, the caveat I'll say to that is if someone came to me with like a great block of units, for example, for 1.5 mil, that I did get the multifamily or multi-tenancy benefit. Sure, maybe. Uh, It just depends on like strata titles and things like that. But Totally. I, I just think that that's the exception, not the rule. Asset sized as well. I didn't think you were going to have a necessarily a prepared answer for that, but it sounds like you've thought about this in depth. I definitely have because <laughs> I'm such a risk adverse human being. I'm like, I don't want to deal with risk. I, I can understand it. Do you want to hear some rules? Let's do the rules. All right. So and there's not that many rules. Uh, so the very first one is you and I know the world around us is in a volatile state. Like I can't sit yeah. there. I can't sit there and look at what's happening in like Eastern Europe and with the US and all these things, like the UK and everything, and go, there is zero volatility in this world. Like there is volatility. And so one of the rules that I have is I need to retain my emergency fund, which is already there, it already exists. I don't need to build it. I just need to keep the emergency fund where it would support Hazel and myself for at least eight, eight months. Okay. So you're means- not willing to have your cash position drop below uh, that emergency. 18 months of personal living expenses in this acquisition. So if, let's say a broker comes back to you, says you need you need more deposit to get this across the line. It's going to compromise that. You're going to say no. I would Correct. I would potentially look at refinancing something to get the cash out as opposed to taking cash out of my emergency fund. Okay. Cash position. I like it. Uh, Any other rules? Is purchases like at an 80% or lower LVR. So I'm so 20 to 20% deposits on everything at least. Oh, can I go deeper on this one? Do Where it. does the 20% deposit come from? Uh, from You mean from an income perspective or where does my well, if you're gonna, 20% If you're going to come up with this 20% deposit, is it well, it's cash or equity? Yeah, no, so it's cash already. So it's like sitting in a bank account right now. So the 20% deposits for the first two properties are already sitting there. So I can swing the bat, no worries at all. And then each one after that will probably come from cash. I'm not looking to extract equity out of my current properties. Even though they've got great LVRs, I'm not looking to extract out equity to buy more properties. And this is something I've thought about a lot and I'd love to know your point here. It seems if you've got equity, which I know you do, you could literally use equity and hold more liquidity. Right? So you could go use that, lever up, get more debt, and then actually have more liquidity in your portfolio. You've elected in the way you've answered that question to say, no, no, I want to contribute cash. Why? That's a good question. Comes back to my very, very strong risk mitigation <laughs> because I'm like, if I just have so much equity sitting there, I need to make sure that every bank that looks at my portfolio goes, I'm willing to give you money. <laughs> and so every bank, when I was talking to my mortgage broker about, hey, this is my plan, um, he looked over all of the current properties I've got and the LVRs. He's like, dude, you're like, 
you literally get drained to every single bank on the face of the planet. <laughs> He's like, everything's cash flow positive. LVRs are super low. He's like, as long as you maintain that, you can just continue borrowing. So, and because for me, one of the biggest problems I'm going to face is borrowing capacity when I'm looking to acquire 1.5 to 2 million. And so if I keep extracting money out, that might be fine. But when I'm looking to get a new, that might be fine for that property. But when I look to buy another property, it might actually impact the potential or perceived serviceability of the new loan. And so that's the one thing that I just cannot impact at all is the ability to just get debt as quick and easy as I'd need for this acquisition run. Yeah, and you said something there that I tend to agree with. I don't think investors value looking good to the banks enough. Like I maintain my good-looking nature to the banks at all times. I'm not willing to compromise on that. Like I want you to think about this. is like if, if you and I were in our 20s and we went out to a nightclub, I aim to be that ridiculously good-looking girl that all the people in the venue would like to be with. Totally. That's how I want to feel to the banks. I want yep. to be so attractive that they're just like itching to give me money. Yeah, and that that's exactly where I look at. And so for me, that's one of the big things. And uh, I don't know. I've spoken to people about this before and similar to, I know we've spoken about like your emergency fund uh, pre- previously. No, we haven't. Um, we haven't spoken about oh, my yeah. emergency well, you fund and I, on sorry. this podcast at all. You and I have spoken about the size of your emergency fund and people think it's like crazy. Great. People, it's not just the size of my emergency fund. It's if you know how to use it. <laughs> but people talk, people talk to me saying like 20% deposits is crazy. Like having an emergency fund for 18 months worth of personal expenses is crazy. Like that's too much. Like, you need to lever up and utilize debt in order to acquire more and you're going to get to your North Star quicker and all these things. And I'm like, yeah, but I won't sleep at night. Like I will be freaking out. (laughs) I'm like, I would much prefer to take a smoother run and investment without needing to keep an eye open at night or do things that I don't want to do in order to earn the money to go and pay things off or whatever. I'm, I'm very much a, how do I play this long game? Because I'm going to be investing for decades. I'm not. This is not a run as hard as I possibly can and then close up shop and just live off the rest. It's just it's a long game. So, yeah. And then uh, the, the, oh, hold, the third, up. Hold, hold up there. We're digging into one. that. We're digging into that more. <laughs> well, I, I want to – it's so interesting to me to hear you speak of it that way because I had this realisation that the biggest risk I have when it comes to property investing – I look at in the mirror every morning when I wake up. Mm, you. Yeah. yeah. And I see tendencies in myself where I can get excited and make terrible decisions. Terrible. And I, I kid you not, I'll share this story briefly. Is like we, when we bought our first investment property, which was a, uh, I'll call it a development. So we bought a splitter, we did the splitter, and then we got the property revalued. Uh, so we bought this property. Or let's just say we were all in for about a million bucks. And then we got it refinanced and it came back uh, valued at 1.35 maybe a year later. So in one year, made 350 grand on this property and like we were celebrating. And do you know what my instant reaction was? Sleep enough, Agnes. No, go again, go again, go again. (laughs) Let's go, let's go. And um, I very quickly got overly excited, engaged a buyer's agent again, didn't take pay attention to anything and was – overly optimistic on what would happen and got myself into a position where like all like risk was sky high. Yeah. And I look at that and go, wow, I am really dangerous in those moments of wins. 
because I've become overexcited and I'm in there and I haven't got these rules in place. So to the point is like I look at it and go, if I act like that, ultimately what it leads to is that I can't sleep well at night. Okay. Or you make decisions that if you didn't have that necessity, you wouldn't have made those decisions. Yeah, it's not, it's-, it's not calculated or to a goal. It's like yeah. over-enthusiasm in the moment. Totally. So the rules I came up with uh, for me, and it's funny that they're quite similar, although not really, we tend to do a lot of things uh, in a similar way, is having to come up with a 20% deposit out of cash stops me from being stupid. <laughs> so Totally. Yeah. And then the other side of that is that if you continually are able to come up with 20% deposits, it keeps your borrowing really healthy to be able to keep going in that way. Where if you keep levering up out of equity, eventually you hit a stop. Yeah. And I, um, I, I've met yeah. many people as well that have, um, and I completely understand why they do it. I'm not going to say that it doesn't work. It can clearly work just levering up to the max. But when you lever up continually, so you buy a house, pull the equity out of it to get the next one, then you pull the equity out of that to get the next one. You just destroy the cash flow because you're continually always creating more and more debt. So it takes longer for those properties to ever actually generate a cash flow positive return. Yeah. And maybe that's your strategy and it's cool. But if you're into cash flow like yourself, Grant, and me, those types of moves can actually be counter to the overall cash flow position of the portfolio. Well, this is, yeah, and it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because stepping into this year with the accumulator role, I know that the cash flow on the new properties I'm buying, or I'm prepared. I shouldn't say I know because I don't know what the houses are or what houses are going to buy, right? But I'm totally compared, prepared for them to not be cash flow positive. And I'm fine with that because I know the market I'm getting into and I know the current environment and the cost of debt at the moment and all these things. I just need to accumulate, which is also the other reason I have these buffers in place because I'm like, well... I'm just not going to sit here and just wait to not buy anything until it's like this perfect Goldilocks, like <laughs> great cash flow positive growth looks fantastic and all these things. It's like, no, no, I'm here to acquire. I'm here to load up on debt. That never happens, by the way. No, totally. We have and like this fantasy property. It's like, oh, the perfect property is just waiting out there. No, you know, every time I bought a property, I think I've secretly wanted something else. <laughs> <laughs> just, just it, it never happened in women. I've got the perfect wife. Yeah, well, we'll, let's not go there. That's dangerous. But even in the one I spoke about, when we were buying the development side, is I wanted a cash flow opportunity at that point. It's just that the development opportunity was too strong. And then after it, we bought a cash flow uh, property and then we just had the win from the development. I'm like, no, 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 I want another development. But we couldn't find developments like that at the time. So like property is really interesting where you might have a, a strategy, but if the market environment just doesn't have that available to it, you may have to uh, work with what the environment presents. Which leads me into my next question, Grant. You seem to have a pretty specific goal around the idea of 1.5 to 2 million in acquisition. Yep. What are we buying? Are you comfortable with sharing that? That's, I mean, you're not just going to buy 1.5 to 2 mil of like, see which way the wind's blowing. Like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great point. And just before I answer that one, to finalize on that point that we're just talking about, the thing that I don't want is I don't want to have a reliance where the asset I buy has to perform like exceptionally well in order for it to be a success. So long-term horizon. Yeah. It's like it, it doesn't have to be perfect today. It, it just needs to be perfect in the long run. And so it's like, I just look at it going to rule that wheel and just going, it's going to come up with 11. And if it doesn't come up with 11, I'm losing everything. I'm like, no, man, I want to play the whole board. <laughs> like just, uh, I need, lesser returns and I'm happy with it and which is why like the deposits etc and so you asked like uh, 
1.5, 2 million. What does it kind of look like? So mm. as at the moment, I've got too much property in Queensland in my portfolio. So like one of the rules is like no more Queensland. Like I just, I think I'm just too susceptible. If they do a, like a land tax thing, I'm like too weighted on that side. So if I was to carve it up in a very rudimentary way, Charlie, it'd be like four, $400,000 places, like standalone houses seem to be what I'm looking for. So a that's real, our asset type? Or how to like real it? basic, like single family dwelling, 400 grand, four of them. And it, imagine that every state was doing the same thing, just one in each four, like in four different states, like real diversified, real simple, real basic. I'm for it. And I'm so you'd be looking at regional properties in Victoria and New South Wales and then maybe something in Perth or Adelaide closer to the capital city. Exactly, exactly. Now, if I end up with a year with, I don't know, imagine it's two in WA, two in South Australia, I'm not going to be disappointed. Or maybe it's like one in New South Wales and one in South Australia. I'm, like, I'm completely fine. Or if it turns out that it's two $600,000 places and one $400,000, i am fine with that too. Like I'm so malleable because I care more about the buyer's agent finding a good property than I am about it needs to look this particular way. So, for example, the brief to the buyer's agent is like, if it's 200, 400, 600, just whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, just, I just care about the asset. Yeah, but I, do you know what? I've thought about this as well. It fascinates me how at times I've gone to my buyer's agent and gone, yeah, I want a house at 600 and I'm on yeah. this yield. <laughs> and can you imagine taking your car to a mechanic? It's like, oh, yeah, like I want to get it fixed up. It's like, I want the oil changed and like, you know, like you should change this chassis. The CV joint's broken. Like just just replace the CV joint. No, no worries. Yeah, but exactly. Like I'm not a mechanic. I wouldn't know how to instruct my mechanic on how to fix my car. Mm-hmm. And like you've got a buyer's agent and like they're literally their job and role is to find property and do good deals. It's like wouldn't you ask them what's appropriate? Uh, totally. Totally. And, and so, like, that was the thing I, I said to them. I said, just anything you find that sort of fits within these types of parameters, I'm like, nothing is too expensive, nothing's too cheap. Like, just send me the opportunity. If you think this is the best thing, just send it to me. Dig it. That was it. Well, I was going to ask, is this already in motion? Like, we're actually recording this. Uh, <laughs> we're a little bit into January. We might have been slack on recording this episode earlier in the month. But is this, have we already activated this plan? I'm curious. You sound so, like this is already in motion. Okay. So I could do all the whole borrowing of what I want to acquire now. So like I've got, I've got enough borrowing to do this, which is perfect. So borrowing is not a problem. Well, it seems to be not a problem, but it is subject to change with like um, RBA potentially increasing rates in Feb and stuff like that. Um, I've already engaged the buyer's agent. So uh, I've got invoice to pay and all those kind of things. And yes, it's the start of January. So this is already in motion. I dig it. I dig it a lot. So to recap on Grant's goal one, we're going for the, what was it? What was you? The I accumulator. Have to, the accumulator. I love this. Um, uh, I really think that's it. Goal one is to be the accumulator. Yep. Looking at potentially four properties, uh, about 1.5 to 2 mil in acquisitions sequentially, right? Without breaking your uh, buffer yep. is what we're looking at there. Emergency. So we don't want to bank, yep. break your buffer. We also want to make sure that we don't load up too much in Queensland and that we're coming up with deposits. We're not skinning out our portfolio. Yeah, and yeah, healthy deposits as well. I dig it. I tell you what, I've been, we've been really unpacking your goal number one here. I'm actually going to make a suggestion live time in the episode here. 
Let's do your goal number two and we'll do my goals in the next episode because I want to follow on from this because I think that uh, – well, I'm reading the sheet. I can see this goal right here does align with the next one. So, Grant, you cool with that? Yeah, totally. I'm totally for it. Let's do goal number two. What's your second goal of the year? All right. So, <laughs> my second goal – I didn't know how to, like, frame this one up. So, I, I just kind of framed it up as, like, refinancing for borrowing power. <laughs> so – uh, with going on such a tear, I'll call it a tear. I'm going to go on such a tear, Charlie. Like the one thing that I'm very aware of is that the borrowing landscape is subject to change, right? Like over the last 12 months, I have seen other people's borrowing capacities just shrink. Like crazy. Wait, there's no need to throw shots and twist knives on this call. <laughs> but I'm... I, it's How just, dare you? Did you like that? That was straight at straight at someone. We won't mention names. Um, and I just looked at this and I'm like, I can't, I can't control this. Um, but I also can't control like business has been doing well. What happens if business doesn't continue doing as well? And so I'm looking at how can I continue to mitigate a borrowing being a limiter, which I think is one of the biggest limiters um, for my accumulator year. And so I'm just looking everywhere that I possibly can to mitigate the potential risk for having limited borrowing power. And so that's literally the goal. I love this as a second goal. I don't think a lot of people know this, but the banks actually update their lending policies every month. Yeah, it's great, yeah. Yeah, so a good mortgage broker, their role is to actually be on top of what lending is available at what times and to who and under what conditions, and it's just like a matrix. And to make a point on that is that when I first started property investing, CBA hated me. Like they wouldn't give me a loan. And then a year later, I'm their ideal type of client based on the risk profile they're wanting on their book. And then a change to NAB. Like now NAB is like, no, come and play. And I'll give you a really stark difference. I went and had my borrowing power done at one point and it was like uh, CBA had gone from loving me to like literally like you can have another million to like, all right, you can have 500 grand. And then we had our borrowing power done with NAB and they're like, yeah, you can have 2.7 million. It's insane, isn't it? Like, yeah. So for a lot of people, when they get the word no for borrowing, they think, oh, I'm done, where it might just literally be, I'll be back in 30 days. This is the thing. And it fascinates me how much banks change on their remit of we want more customers, we want to retain customers and the types of products that they release in order to do those things where, yeah, to your point, like literally you wait 30 days (laughs) and they could come out with a new product, they could change an existing product, which turns a pretty meek uh, situation into a great opportunity and he's like well oh. and that's the, that is the difference of having a great mortgage broker on it so what does refinancing for borrowing power mean for you versus what would be refinancing for something else mean for yeah. someone else and I'm, I'm happy to use myself as the counter example um after but i think this awesome. is a really interesting point so what does refinancing for borrowing power mean so i'm going to put I, i'm going to put a couple of layers to this one so for example on borrowing on to purchase new properties because I'm in an accumulation stage and I understand what that is going to mean to my cash flow of my portfolio. Dude, I don't care if I'm getting mortgages at like six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent because I know I just need to go and acquire properties. Right. Okay, so, so from to step, use that as an step, example, you're going on this run here with your four properties. Yep. If the bank goes to you, cool, you can buy another property at 9% when you, all your other rates are at, let's say, 5 or 6. I'm, I'm You're going to take I'm, that deal to get the purchase. 
Exactly. I don't think it will happen, but I have played those numbers both mentally and on spreadsheets and I'm like, I can support it. Like it's, it's no problems at all. And it, it aligns to my greater goal. But on the other side is I've looked at <clears throat> the existing mortgages in the portfolio and I've gone, how do I make these finance, like these mortgages not impact my potential future borrowing power? And so I'm actually got my mortgage broker at the moment is going through and refinancing a couple of my mortgages down to lower rates so that essentially the property cleans itself even better. So then it's more positively cash flow because it has less expenses, which means that my borrowing power goes up, but also my existing investment portfolio does not impact my future borrowing power. Right, can we use an example of that as well? I just want to make sure I get it. Let's say you've got a, a loan with one of the big four. I can actually, moment. I can. I can tell you the exact example. So Go I had a loan with a third-tier lender to acquire a property last year, and with all of the interest rate increases, it has gone up to 6.99% at the moment, which is not the end of the world, but it's not. No, I think rate. it is. I think that's outrageous. <laughs> and to, I was tell you the other one. So then I had another one with a uh, top-tier bank at 6.7%. And wow, that is high for the current environment. Very high. And so – and these – Again, not financial advice for anyone else. So these properties are in trusts, which obviously adds to it and their interest only, which adds to it and stuff like that. Um, so we actually went out to a uh, other bank and we got approval for a 5.5 mortgage on each one. So same bank, but they're just two different mortgages. So it's taking literally one from 7% down to 5.5 and another one from 6.7% down to 5.5, which just think about when you've got like three four $400,000 mortgages sitting on these places like the cash flow changes when you're changing like one and one and a half percent. So that, let's just pretend it averages out at 1.25%. Yep. So the idea being is you've found a way to save 1.25% on the interest. Yep. And then the other side of that is that goes direct to profit. So exactly. your profit on the property has gone up. So in the eyes of the bank, when you go and do future lending, you go, and look, I've already got this asset. It's even more profitable now. And in turn, will give you more borrowing power. Totally. And even from the risk mitigation perspective, if the RBA comes out and increases rates a couple more times this year, uh, I can wear that pain easier. Than did you consider taking. fixing any loans for that reason? I did. And I do have a fixed rate mortgage at 2.65% off the top of my head or 2.45%, <laughs> which is great. And I'm just looking at this now and I'm like, I think this is probably where it roughly settles. I think the rates might go up an extra half a percent, give or take. So I'm like, I just don't want to play that game of trying to bet against the RBA because they've done some weird things. So no, I've just stuck it with variable. And I also know that if I fix my rates, I can't get out <laughs> until the end of the period. And I'm kind of stuck on my current one. As I say, you know thing. exactly what will happen. You'll lock in at like I six totally. or five or something. It'll go down to two just because you did it. Dude, you know what? Philip Lowe will sit there and say, Grant locked in. You know what? Screw him. Let's drop rates. <laughs> and I'm like, this is, come on, Mr. Lowe, help a man out. Do you know, I'm not sure whether to call this a sub-goal or, or a goal of itself because it appears to me that this is very in line with the major goal of being the accumulator. So let's just say the theme of 2023 is to be the accumulator. Yep. So on the you've got your goal and plan up the top there and then you've looked at this and gone, well, the goal around my financing structure and refinancing needs to support that as well. And I really look at it how like counter it is. On one hand, you'll take bad finance to get an acquisition but then on the other side, you're trying to make good finance on your existing properties to improve profitability, to improve borrowing power again. And that, as a strategy, it works. 
But for a lot of people, they wouldn't necessarily realize that might be what it would take to acquire properties. Completely. And I, the way that I think about these two goals is one is like an expansion strategy. So like expand it. The other one is making sure that whatever the expansion is moving things in, like expansion grows and grabs things and push it back into like a business as usual. And I just need to make sure the business as usual things aren't ruining the expansion because a lot of people just miss the second order consequences where they'll expand and they'll buy something. They'll buy this asset, but they didn't realize that actually by buying that asset, it inhibits their ability to buy another one whether they over leverage themselves, whether the interest rate was too high and now it doesn't help them out for borrowing, whatever the situation may or may not be, my key thing is like, now that I've acquired it, how do I make sure it doesn't get in the way for the next one? It's <laughs> so such like, a critical question. You just described exactly what happened with our uh, development I mentioned earlier because we had not forecasted the idea that if you buy a property and you do a development, you may not be able to borrow more money until you've finished that development and had it revalued. Exactly, because you've got to wait. And yeah, this there's opportunity costs. We literally could have bought more property in that time if we'd have bought established properties instead of buying there uh, um, or instead of buying that one, although it did turn out well. We can't argue that the end result didn't turn out well. And th- but that's the challenge, right? And I know that if I was to do something similar, I'm sure it would work out well in the end. But I'm like, is that the game I want to play right now? Now, Because I've got the benefit of hindsight and your lessons and other lessons of people that we know, I'm like, is that the game I want to open myself or make myself susceptible to? Nah, nah. No, 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 no. I just, want to, I just want to acquire and just make sure that other acquisitions don't get in the way. Well, to go even deeper than that, we had a time where we were doing the accumulator. We found a property we loved, absolutely loved, really perfect deal. We did it subject to finance only to go to the bank and say the only way you can acquire this is with a 30% deposit. Yeah. Yeah. So for wow. this lender, that was their term on being able to acquire it, which to be transparent, it was actually a unit block. So when we got to that, we were expecting 20% and like, you know, standard terms. But when we got hit with that, we had to make a decision. Are we going to take on a less than ideal structure to purchase this? Noting that it's like that's 10% extra we're putting in that we had planned to use on the next deposit. Yeah. So is it, how's this all going to play out? So we ended up having to put 30% down on this unit block which from memory, it was about 700 grand roughly. There was 680 or 700 the purchase. So it was a substantial amount, like 10% of that was another $70,000. We came up with the cash, did it, got the finance through, then had to refinance it later to get that 10% back out to put into the deposit of the next property. And that just takes time. Like whilst that whole process of purchasing, settling, finding tenants, letting the tenant lease, settle in until you can go back to the banks to refinance and then the process of refinancing like that would have been at least a nine month 12 month process it was yeah roughly i would say it was about nine months totally. and do you know what's fascinating in that it was yeah. the same bank that ended up refinancing at 80 <laughs> percent of course it was. i was like what why not just give us the loan we want at the beginning why not just like just, like that's a sucker punch that's what that is <laughs> But these are the things that come up when you go on these accumulator runs. Yeah, totally. Because there's so many variables that you you take for granted. Like uh, you think, oh, we can just do 20% deposits. Oh, it'll be easy to get finance. Inflation won't be an issue or lending environment or rates won't change. And only in hindsight do I realize what a lending environment we were in. Yeah. And then you look at it now and go, that landscape has changed for a lot of people. really has. Yeah. And- then the final thing, like, and it's, 
hence why I like the theming that I threw around, like the refinancing for borrowing power. Uh, one of the other layers, which I think everyone who's got investment properties is doing this, is like rents are increasing as well. So um, I just got off the phone to a real estate agent yesterday um, of a 5% increase on one of our places. Another place uh, we had baked in a rental review after six months of a 12-month lease, which is up in like middle of Feb. And then we've got another like lease that's like coming up. And so I'm like, these things will increase the revenue, which will also make borrowing better. And so like this, all these things on the current portfolio that I'm trying to do and just keep on top of to make sure that second I call the mortgage broker and say, let's go again. Um, he's not going to go, oh, because of this, we're stuffed. Or it's actually helping him. How are you staying on top of rental reviews and making sure that they come in? Because I, I can see what you're doing in this is like if the profitability on each property, so much to the point if you've refinanced it to get down 1.25% and then the rent goes up 20 bucks a week on that property as well, that's a very advantageous position to then increase borrowing again. So I see how it fits under this. How are you actually executing that though? Yeah, awesome. So first one was mortgage broker. <laughs> Let's go and refinance and go crazy. Um, and, but the key thing to that was like, is there's, there's refinancing for the sake of refinancing. I don't like what the RBA has got. I just want like to try and drop by like 0.5. But when I had the conversation with him, I'm like, I don't want to deal with the pain of refinancing unless it's like a, a serious impact that will actually help us. So I'm not talking about fighting for 0.2 or 0.5. I'm like, I want something serious. And so I just said to him, I said, just go and have a look at all of the loans that we've got and just tell me what would be worth it and what wouldn't be worth it. And so he came back and said like, these two are really high let's go and try and refinance them. So that was like the whole approach was proactively contact mortgage broker, just give him an, this is what I'm trying to get to, open plan, you just come back to me with a strategy and I'm happy to execute it. And so that was it. And then the other one is just contacting the property managers as places are coming up for rent. When I was coming up for a new lease, I should say, um, and just going like, what are we looking at? And then I'll do like my own little desktop research to validate the pricing that they've set. I'm like, is this high enough? Is this like too low? Um, but that one's just in a spreadsheet. So I know when everything's coming up for rent and I'll just contact them four weeks out. Um, and I, I got a story on that at a later date of uh, when a tenant like left over Christmas. Hilarious. Yeah, don't share um, any of that. That needs its own episode. <laughs> it really does need its own episode. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, and so like then I'll just prompt the property manager, hey, are we ready for like are these guys signing on? If so, we can increase the rate. What do you think is a good rate? And all those kind of things. Um, but I'm not as aggressive where I'll go to like another property manager and say, hey, do you want to independently value this thing? It's more like a desktop research. Am I happy with where it's at compared to where it has been? And then I'm like, cool, let's just go for that. Is there anything else you would like to add to this goals list? Uh, no, nah, I'm, I'm just pumped up for this year. Like... <laughs> This is, I've been waiting for the accumulator year and it was meant to be like, I was meant to be able to continue from the start of 2022's acquisitions all the way through until what happened in end of 2022 or second half of 2022. It was what it was. And so I've just been sitting here, like just putting money, screwing it away under the mattress. And I'm like, I'm just pumped to dive into this. It's, gonna be it's such a fun stage. Like going on a big run and a big uh, acquisition is incredibly um, like it's the fun part, right? It's the exciting part of what we get to do here. Totally. So and it, oh, the oh, discipline oh, of getting yourself to that point, though, and getting into position to do so—that's where the hard work is. Totally. And I will preface this: like I've got, I have the the thing that makes me happy going into this year is I've got no preconceived notion that I'm not going to get some random storm hit my journey again, like. For all I know, the RBA will come out and increase rates by 2%. I'm like, fine, whatever. 
Like it is what it is. No, well, I, just, I love how you braze over these things. It's like that is not fine and whatever at all. <laughs> no, like I mean it fine in the sense of I will just adapt my plan. Like I can't control these things. I will just have to take the swings and punches as they come. Yeah, I'll, I'll complain about it and I'll shout shout them down if it happens. But like I'm not just a this has to happen. I'm like I'm huge conviction, but malleable in the sense of hey, if something else pops up or something changes. I'll adapt with the wind. Yeah, let's finish on that point. I think that's a strong one there. Grant, thank you for sharing your goals for or your property goals specifically here for 2023. I appreciate you. And if anyone's listening to this and you go, I have property goals as well, and I'd love for Grant and Charlie to read them, head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, subscribe to the newsletter, and then hit reply to any of the emails and just send us an email and just let us know what your goals are as well. We'd be happy to hear them. Just want to say thank you very much and uh, we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Property and Investing.